You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll explore the essential nature of forgiveness in both the gospel and in our daily lives. I want you to meet me in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. And verse number eight, we're starting a new series of teaching entitled Forgiven. And in 1 Peter 4 and verse eight, and you can follow along with me in your Bible on the screen in the TWC app. One verse, and this is written by the Apostle Peter, who, who if, if anybody knew anything about forgiveness and the power of it, it, it was Peter. Peter says this, he says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate what is the high holy day of our faith, and that is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so as we are preparing for Easter, we're going to take uh, the next several weeks to dig into this subject, um, Forgiven. I mentioned a moment ago about the radio interview that I, I did uh, from the radio station there in L.A., and it covers much of the West Coast. And one of the questions uh, that the radio host asked me, because he, he you know, was a little bit uh, upset about the article, and, and I talked about, hey, we've got to get back to Jesus. The church has got to lift Jesus up and not our own personal political agendas, et cetera, et cetera. And he asked me, kind of matter-of-factly, he said, well, isn't the message of the cross hard for people in our culture to receive? And, and, and I told him, no, it's not at all. I said, I think it's not the message of the cross, it's the way that we have been presenting that message that has been problematic. I said, but no, the message of the cross, the cross itself is not difficult. I said, as a matter of fact, the cross is the greatest love story ever known to man. If we would just present it the right way, I said people wouldn't run from it, people would run to it. See, the message of the cross, well, we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks on Easter Sunday, is simply that God loves us so much that he forgave all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our failures, past present, and future. Many people miss this, that what Jesus accomplished, what he went to the cross and did for you and I, that the moment we open our heart to Jesus and, and repent, right, that forgiveness is applied for any and everything, any and everything. Let me say that again. That forgiveness is applied for any and everything that we have done outside of the will of God, past, present, and future. And I want to walk you through this this morning because many people miss this. Part of my challenge with some of the positions that, that some of these Christian leaders have taken is because I, I, I started asking myself when they were saying certain things, are we reading the same Bible? 
Because I said, well, first, well, clearly they can't read because, because Scripture is really clear about the heart of God. And, and so I, I really think that sometimes we miss what's right in front of us, possibly because of tradition. I'm not quite sure. But I want to take my time and walk you through this scripturally because many people miss this truth of what the gospel is all about. This is why in the opening video bumper, we showed you what we did. We asked several people, what is the heart of the gospel? We just simply asked them that. What is, what's the heart of the gospel? And it was amazing, the responses that we got. We showed you some of them. Some of them, you know, oh, it's about, uh, it's about being reconciled to God, or it's about this, it's about that. And a lot of the answers that they gave us were accurate, but they missed the real core message of the gospel. The real core message of the gospel is forgiveness. That's the heart of the gospel. This is why this series is called Forgiven, because that is what the gospel is all about. But, but notice this, you cannot fully appreciate or recognize or even live in the reality that you have been forgiven without also understanding your obligation to forgive. This is, this is why uh, the series is forgive and then the end in, in those parentheses because you cannot fully embrace the fact that the heart of the gospel is that Christ came and gave up his life so that you and I would be forgiven past, present, and future. But that comes with an obligation. That as you embrace and live in the reality of that forgiveness, at the same time, the obligation is that you have to forgive. And what's interesting is that sometimes it, it appears in the body of Christ that we will celebrate that we have been forgiven, but then hold grudges and won't forgive. And you cannot disconnect them. You cannot spell forgiven or forgiveness without first addressing the need to forgive. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into this over the next several weeks. But number one in your notes, I want you to understand this. Let me, let me unpack this because I got like three amens right there. And I may not get a whole bunch today, but I want you to understand this. Number one, forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. That, that's the heart of the gospel. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. What is, what is central and core to the gospel is, is forgiveness. All of the other answers that people gave us, a lot of those answers were correct. But, but the core, the foundation of the gospel is forgiveness. This is why in that first Peter passage that we read a moment ago, first Peter four and eight, Peter literally says, and this is Peter who had made so many mistakes over and over and over again, but was the recipient of that radical forgiveness. And he says, above all, above all, what does that above all mean? Above everything else, above your politics, above your feelings above your whims and your wishes, above what other people say or don't say, above everything else, love each other deeply. Why? Because it's love that covers a multitude of sins. Above everything else, he says, if you don't do anything else, love each other deeply. Because that is what covers a multitude of sins. So then how do we get to this issue of forgiveness? Well, there is no love without forgiveness. And there is no forgiveness without love. What do you mean? If you really love someone, they are going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. It is just a part 
of living. Nobody's perfect. You cannot really love someone and not forgive them at the same time. And you cannot effectively forgive them without loving them. So when the Bible says that God so loved the world because of his love, what did he do? He forgave us. Why did he forgive us? Because he loved us. There is, there is no love without forgiveness. There's no forgiveness without love. And that's what the gospel, the good news, that's what it's all about. So what I want you to understand is this. If you cut the gospel anywhere, it bleeds forgiveness. Let me say that again. That's so good. If you cut the gospel anywhere, it bleeds forgiveness. That's why Jesus came to earth and went to the cross to give up his life. And, and the story is very clear. This message, this point is clear all the way starting in the book of Genesis, and it runs through the entire scripture. God makes the, the, the whole message of this clear from the very beginning. Why the very beginning? Because we, we know what happened in the very beginning. Some of us remember what happened in the very beginning. God creates a perfect scenario, a perfect world, puts Adam and Eve in it, and God wants intimate relationships. Can you imagine that Adam and Eve literally are able to, to see God and connect with God? It, it says that he, he's literally walking through the garden in the cool of the day asking, Adam, where are you? I mean, because they had unbroken intimacy and fellowship with God on a daily basis because that's what God wanted. He wanted that level of intimacy. And, and it was based on trust because God only had one rule. He said, you can have anything that you see in this garden. He gives them purpose. He gives them a job and responsibility. But there was really only one big rule. You can have anything you want in this garden. Just don't eat from that tree. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? My daughter asked me some months ago, Dad, why? I mean, it, God made it hard. Why did he put that tree in the garden in the first place? He should have just created the garden without that tree. And I explained there, no, no, that tree is there for a reason. It's about trust. Because real love has to be demonstrated out of your free will. If somebody got to twist your arm to do something, that's not real love. So he puts that tree there because it's about trust. He says, I want you to trust me in everything. Um, I, want, I want you to follow me and know that I've got good plans for you. I created this whole world and it's perfect just for you. The only thing I want is just for you to trust me. So just eat from anything around here but that tree. And we know that they blew it. We know that they, they did. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and because of that, sin entered the world. Everything changed from that moment because they blew it, because they didn't trust God in that moment. Sin entered the world, and because they are our ancestors, our foreparents, because of what they did, sin not only entered the world, but the punishment for sin became our inheritance. So when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, just, just like when you and I work, we expect to be paid for our work. We expect wages for our work. Sin has to be paid. It's wages. What are the wages of sin? It's death. This is why when they sin, God has to kill an animal, take the skins of an animal, and cover them. The mere fact that God has to cover them with the skins of the animal means that the animal's got to die. Because, because sin has to be paid its wages. And so their debt, that, that wage that had to be paid, their debt 
is passed on then to us. This is why you don't ever have to teach a child to sin, right? A, ch a child, they, they come out of the womb with a PhD and how to mess up, right? Because the inheritance of Adam and Eve, that, that debt of sin was passed on to us. But, but God refused to give up on us. He's so rich in his compassion that even when Adam and Eve sinned, God prophetically says to the serpent, she, the woman, will have a son talking about Jesus, and his heel will crush your head. He already begins to roll out the plan. He says, yeah, you think you, think you won, uh, Satan, but you have to understand that the, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world, that, that there will be coming my son Jesus, and what he's going to do is going to take care of this issue once and for all. So he sent his son to pay for our debt, Right? Why? Because perfection required perfection. The only way that we can get back to Eden and get back to a state of perfection is that perfection has to be given. Jesus is perfect. And so he comes into an imperfect setting to give up his perfection so that you and I could have access back to the original intent that God had in his heart for us. So Jesus came. He lived the perfect life, gave up his life on the cross to pay the price that only he could pay. He shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to. He gave up his life so that we wouldn't have to. Are you following me? But I want you to understand that the heart of all of that is forgiveness. That's the reason he came. Because of that debt of sin that we owed, right? He says, I, I, I will erase that. Meaning, I am not going to count your sins against you and count the mistakes you've made against you. I'm going to take all of that on me because I forgive you. Okay, I got three amens right there. That's, that's all right. That's what we're going to dig into the scriptures. I hope you still have your Bible open or your app open because let me show this to you. And, and I'm, I'm okay taking my time and walking you through this because if we as the church would get this right, we would never be able to build bu buildings large enough to hold the people that are going to run to Jesus. Teach, Pastor Van, I intend to. So let me show you something. After his resurrection... Let me show you how important a message this is. After his resurrection, Jesus had a conversation with the disciples. And this conversation is recorded in Luke 24. And I want to pick it up around verse 46. And he gives the disciples their final marching orders. After the resurrection, after the crucifixion, he says, all right, I've done everything that I was ordained to do. Now I'm handing this off to you. And he summarizes the good news for them. He just, he summarizes it. He says, in other words, if you want to understand everything that was in the heart of God from the beginning of time, if you want to understand everything that I came to do and I've done it, he says, then this is what you need to know. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the what? Forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Let me pause here for a second and point this out. Notice he did not stop the gospel with his death and with his resurrection. No, the, the cross and the empty tomb are part of a bigger plan. What's the bigger plan? Re repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
He says, I, I, I came and did all of this. Why? Because I was forgiving you guys. And I want you, disciples, to take this message around the world. He says, you are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send to you what my father's promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. He says, the Holy Spirit is coming, and the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do the very thing that I need you to do. I need you to take this message of forgiveness to the world. I don't want people to feel like they're disqualified. I don't want people to feel like they've made too many mistakes or because they've lived a certain kind of lifestyle that they are outside of the grip of my love. He says, I I want you to be empowered to take this message that I came, I lived, I died, and I rose again so that everybody could be forgiven. Okay, the, the amens have gotten a little bit better there, just a few more. So that's okay. We're heading in a good direction. That's good. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Good sign. So then Peter begins to preach on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes. Stay with me. Peter stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls are added to the church that day. 3,000 people give their life to Jesus on that day. Acts 2 and verse 38. What was it that Peter preached? What kind of message was it? Did Peter have on skinny jeans? Did he have on a blazer? I mean, what... How did he preach? Did he teach? Did he holler? I mean, what? my goodness. I mean, any preacher would want to know, how did he communicate that resulted in 3,000 people giving their life to Jesus? It was a very simple message. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What was the message? That no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how many mistakes you made, Jesus did what he did for you. And the only thing you need to do is repent and, and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to invite you in my heart. He says, and he did it for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay. All right. So then let's move on. In Acts chapter 5. So they're preaching this gospel. And people are running to Jesus in droves. So much so that when you get to Acts 5, it literally says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the traditional church people, become jealous. Because they're like, well, now we're having church and and ain't nobody coming to our church. Everybody running over there to that worship center. I don't know what, I mean, everybody's going over there. So literally... They put the disciples in prison. They try to shut down the message. In the middle of the night, in Acts 5, an angel of the Lord comes, opens the jail doors. They walk out, and the angel of the Lord says, now I need you to go into the temple courts and preach that message again. What message do you want them to preach? Acts 5, verse 30. Peter preaches, and this is the message. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed. You talk about somebody stepping on your toes. Peter said, yeah, 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 God, God raised him from the dead, and y'all put him up there in the first place. You, you low down, no good. Y'all did it. Y'all, y'all did it. I'm telling you, Peter couldn't preach in this day and time. Because, I mean, that, that in your face, people would have been like, uh, <laughs> praise the Lord, my season is coming to an end here, you know, all that kind of stuff. He says, no, 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 y'all, y'all tried to kill him, but God raised him from the dead. Y'all did it. But he says, and God exalted him to his own right hand as a prince and a savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and what? 
There it is again. He keeps talking about this thing of forgiveness. Even when Peter gets to Cornelius' house and Peter himself, Peter knows about forgiveness because Peter struggled at one point in his own spiritual growth. Peter struggled with racism. In Galatians 3, one of the huge confrontations between Paul and Peter is over this issue of racism. And Paul says, Peter, you are wrong for that. Peter even struggles um, with, with, with a little bit of, of prejudice in Acts because when salvation comes to the Gentiles and God says, you need to get to Cornelius' house, Peter says, I'm not going over there. I'm not going to those people. And God rebukes him and says, no, you, you need to go. So he goes to Cornelius' house and he's blown away. In Acts 10, this is the message. In Acts 10 and verse 42, when he gets to Cornelius' house, the Gentiles were outsiders. Right? And he, he says, he commanded us, this is Acts 10, 42, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as a judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets talking about the Old Testament testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. Everybody that believes. There are no limitations on everybody. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves everybody. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You, you mean God loves them too? Sure does. Sure does. <gasps> They're not circumcised. They're not like us. And the Holy Spirit fell on them? Absolutely. Barnabas and Paul, when they sat out on their first missionary sojourn, you see it all through Scripture. I'm just showing this to you. In Acts 13, Paul begins to preach. And in verse 38, he says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the what? Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's the message. That's the gospel. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from some sins. A justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. See, the thing about laws is you can, you can try to preach to people and give them all the laws. You ain't right, you ain't right, you should do this, you should do that. Laws don't do anything but really point people to their inadequacy. The law is not powerful enough to save. Paul stressed this. But what can save is the radical love of Jesus Christ. What is that love about? That you're forgiven. Who, me? Yes, you. Even, even when Paul is on trial and standing before King Agrippa because they don't understand how are you doing what you're doing and who are you to, to, to stand and proclaim and preach what, what you're preaching. And so in Acts 26, when he stands before King Agrippa, he tells this whole story. And if anybody understands anything about forgiveness, it's Paul. Paul, Paul in today, in, in, in our culture today, Paul would be labeled a terrorist. Because when he was Saul, that is what he was doing. The Bible says when Stephen, one of the first deacons, were stoned, 
Paul was right there holding the coats of everybody that said, no, let me take my coat off because I'm going to kill this dude right here. Paul was like right on the side like, ooh, that's a good swing. Get him. <laughs> Bible says that, that Saul was acting like a wild boar going around trying to persecute believers. This is, this is early Acts before his conversion. And then he's converted and Jesus forgives him and uses him. See, see, I don't know, you know, sometimes we say turn to your neighbor. I don't know if you knew everything that your neighbor had done in their past, if you would even really want to turn to him or sit next to him. I mean, can you imagine, I say turn to your neighbor, and it's Paul right next to you and say, you know, I, boy, I used to kill all y'all. <laughs> you probably be like, oh, uh, 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 uh. <clears throat> Acts 26, verse 15, he's telling this story about God confronting him, Jesus confronting him on the Damascus Road. And he says, then I asked, who are you, Lord? Talking about this blinding light and the voice that he hears on the Damascus Road. And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Why? So that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins. Place among those who are sanctified by me. I can show this to you over and over and over and over again. Paul establishes churches around the globe. He's in Ephesus. He writes the book of Ephesians to them, Ephesians 1 and 7. He says, in him, talking about Christ, we have redemption through his blood. What does that redemption mean? The forgiveness of what? In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God loved us so much. Remember, you can't love without forgiving. Why do you forgive? Because you love. In his love, God says, I, I, I cannot leave you like this. I love you too much. So he sends Jesus to die for us. Why? Because God says you're forgiven. The church of Colossus, the book of Colossians, he writes to them, says the same thing, Colossians 1 and 13. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. What is that redemption? The forgiveness of sins. I'm teaching this to you and walking you through this because this is a fundamental truth of our faith. This is, this is not, oh, yeah, I love the Lord, but no, wait a minute. you got to forgive too. See, any way you slice this gospel, it involves forgiveness. You cannot communicate the good news of the gospel without communicating the radical price that Jesus paid to secure our forgiveness. But what about the folk who've done horrible things? Yes, he loves them too. I know this is radical. I'm not going to get any amens right there. What about those who did, who did heinous crimes? Yes, he loves them too. You, you do remember when he was hanging on the cross, he was hanging in between two thieves. He was the only one that hadn't done anything. The two thieves beside him, they had shown up done things. They, they, by the standard of the Roman government, they deserved punishment by death. And one of the thieves was wise enough 
to recognize his failures and repent before he was put to death. And he's hanging on the cross, turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today. He, he hadn't gone to growth track, y'all. He, he, didn't, he didn't come to the altar and tarry. Jesus says today, immediately. Sins and all, mistakes and all, heinous crimes and all. You, you, you will be with me in paradise. What am I trying to teach you? Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. This is why, listen to me, this is why we look most like Jesus when we forgive people. Let me say that again. This is why we look most like Jesus when we forgive people. This is also why God takes unforgiveness so seriously. Because when you won't forgive someone, you undermine the whole reason that Jesus came and gave up his life. Oh, teach, pastor. This is why this is such a big deal for God. And this is honestly part of the struggle that the world is having with the church. The whole point and why Jesus created the church and sent us out was so that other people could receive the same forgiveness that we got. John 13, 34, it's not in your notes, but Jesus literally says, I only have one commandment for you. Love others as I have loved you. He says, and by this, everybody will know that you are my disciples. See, the evidence that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with how, how high you jump, how large the church is, how whether or not you've got leaders' ears or not. None of that matters. You know, what you wear and the regalia and all of that stuff, none of that matters. He says, this is the marker that people will determine that you are my disciple. Can, can you love one another? Can you show them what I've shown you? Teach, pastor. Why did Jesus give this command? Because... In the world, people are looking for freedom. They're looking for answers. But unfortunately, sometimes when they encounter church people, they don't get a message of forgiveness. Watch this. They get a message of judgment. Teach, pastor. So they hear us talking about the Prince of Peace, but they don't see the evidence of his peace in our own lives and how we deal with other people. Teach, pastor, I am doing the doggone thing. Whether you are saying anything to me or not, you know what the world wants to know? Are we smoking what we're selling? This is so good. This is so good. That's what the world wants to know. If forgiveness and if Jesus is such a wonderful thing, then why aren't you doing it? I'm sorry, maybe the next campus will get it. The central point of the gospel is that the blood of Jesus covers all sins, including the ones that have been committed against me. We shout about the fact that he forgave us of our sins. But then that also, that same blood that, that you're under also applies to the, the person that hurt you just last week. Oh, I'm not going to. Okay, let, let me move on. On, on March 2nd, 2006, a man named Charles Roberts backed a pickup truck to the front of a Christian school in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. He entered the schoolhouse about 10.30 in the morning, took the students hostage. Soon, he released all of the students with the exception of 10 girls. 
he ultimately shot some of those girls before he turned the gun on himself. Three of the girls died on the scene. Two more died the next morning. Five were left in critical condition at various hospitals. The ages of these girls were from 6 to 13. When that happened, the news spread like wildfire, right? People all around the country were talking about it, very similarly to the way we've been talking about recent shootings that have happened in our own city or in Parkland, Florida, or elsewhere. And as soon as the story went out, I mean, the echoes of the gunshots had, had not even really become silent when the parents of those girls who lost their life went on the news and expressed forgiveness to the family of the man who killed their children. Not only did the parents go on television and say we forgive the man and his family, but their church, watch this, set up a charitable fund, not for the families that had lost their kids, the church set up a charitable fund for the killer's family. Let's take it a step further. 30 of them from the church attended the killer's funeral. Later on, his wife sent a letter to the church, and it literally said that, that she was so moved by their love and by their forgiveness that it helped their own family heal. And a lot of people around the world began to criticize this Christian community. I don't understand why they're doing it. That doesn't make any sense. They ought to be angry. But, y'all, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Mm, amens are getting a little bit better. We, we're going somewhere. Amens are getting a little bit better. That's good. When Jesus says, For God so loved the world, since in John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You got to deal with that whosoever. That, that, that whosoever, my grandmother used to say, baby, whosoever, whosoever wants to come to Jesus can come to him. That whosoever, that's my grandmother's words, whomever, if you, you know, you, you know Bessemer and polished, whomever, That doesn't exclude anybody. Whoever, whomever. That's a big number. That's a wide umbrella. You got to deal with that. It also means that that whosoever, whomever may be somebody that you don't necessarily agree with. But they still have an invitation from Jesus. Whoever believes in him can come. Let me close with this. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. I took extra time to... To, to address a few things at the top of the word. I want to give you this point. I won't be able to unpack it, but I want you to understand it. Secondly and finally, and I'm going to stop with this, forgiveness is the issue that is more important to God than many other issues. There are a number of people in today's society that suggest that, you know, what we do is we try to categorize sin. We try to say, oh, well, you know, that's okay, but this over here, oh, that's really bad. No, 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 no. Biblically, you can't justify that. But what the Bible does reveal, though, is that one of the issues that God really has a problem with is unforgiveness. I want to show you something. Go to the Gospel of Matthew 18 and verse 21, and I want to read this, and 
And I'm going to close by unpacking this for you. And then I'll hand it off to our campus uh, pastors and leaders. It says, then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him. I do not, I, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will repay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved, there it is, love with compassion released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, you better pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying the exact same thing. Have patience with me. I'll pay you all. But he would not. Went out, threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told the master all they had done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. I, I forgave, now y'all didn't say nothing. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, that's you, that's you, that's you. <laughs> I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Watch this. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother of his trespasses. Listen. I'm out of time. So much in this passage. I can't unpack it all, but I want you to hear this. The wealthy ruler in this parable, what is a parable? A fictitious story used to communicate deep spiritual truths. Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, one quick uh, point of clarity. I got this guy over here is getting on my nerves. Um, how many times should I forgive him? And Peter thought that he was doing a big thing when he said seven times because the rule of the Pharisees and Sadducees was the maximum was three. So Peter thought, well, if I say seven, I'm doing double what they're doing plus one. So Jesus is going to be impressed. Seven times, you know, he got all deep. That's a number of completion. And seven. And Jesus says, nope. Seventy times seven. That means several things. Uh, if you take it literally, it means uh, every three minutes. <laughs> you ought to be forgiving somebody. Every three minutes. Or figuratively, it means there is no limit to forgiveness. Should be no limit. That's it. Then he tells him this parable. He says, there's this wealthy ruler, who, by the way, is God, and there are these two servants. One servant owed the man 10,000 talents. Now, we read this and we think, oh, that's 10,000 talents. That's nice. No, we have no concept of how much money that is. Let me work through really quickly the equivalency. One talent equals 60 minas. Somebody say minas. One mina was the equivalent of three months of pay. This means one talent was worth 180 months or 15 years salary. 
one talent. 10,000 talents, 150 years worth of salary. So the man says, please forgive me. Give me time and I will repay. You will not live that long. There's no way. You will live that long to repay 150,000 years worth of wages. And if the annual, let's just say the annual income, the median income rather at that time, let's just say it was $50,000. If that's the median income, you know how much 10,000 talents really meant back then? $7.5 billion with a B. That's what he owed the master. $7.5 billion. That's what he owed. And the master says, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Then this guy, he wasn't a member of the worship center, but this guy turns around and finds somebody that owes him a hundred denarii. One denarii was about uh, one day's worth of, of wages. So 100 denarii was roughly about $17,000. Get this. One guy was owed $7.5 billion is what he owed to the master. The master says, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. He goes out, finds somebody that owes him $17,000. And the guy gives him the same response that he gave to the master. Please give me time. Now, $17,000, that's a car payment, right? A car, a car uh, amount. You could probably save, you know, and pay that. $7.5 billion, no way. So the guy who was forgiven much starts choking the guy who really owed him only a little. Throws him in prison. And then the servants say, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. This guy owed you $17,000 and you wouldn't give him a pass. You wouldn't forgive him. But yet you owed the master $7.5 billion and he erased your debt. Wait, this is not right. And they go and tell the master. And the master calls the guy in and he says, all right, listen. If that's how you're going to roll. After I forgave $7.5 billion, you want to hold the guy hostage for $17,000. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the jailers have you. I'm, I'm going to, you, you, you can then suffer the same fate that this guy suffers. Where, where you can be in prison until you repay the debt. He'll never repay that debt. Plus, if he's in prison, he can't work. He will never repay $7.5 billion. Jesus ends the story and he says this, and it cuts me to the heart every time I read it. He says, so will your father in heaven treat you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. He says, in other words, God is looking at your account. And he knows that really what you owe him is to the tune of about $7.5 But he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to wipe the slate clean. He says, but then wait a minute. If you turn around and the person that cuts you off on the highway or the person that maybe didn't receive you the way that you wanted to be received or said something some way that you didn't understand it and you took it the wrong way and you got an attitude and you won't forgive them over $17,000. Jesus says, God's going to treat you like that guy. He's going to allow you to be tortured. Now, let me be very clear. God loves us too much to torture us. 
The master in this story does not do the torturing. He just says, I will let the torturers have their way with you. And I know some people right now who, because they won't let go and won't forgive, you know what they're holding on to? Hurts from five years ago or three years ago. and I can't believe they said that to me. And they're holding on to it and because they won't forgive. You know what? Their whole life has been a life lived with torture. They are weighted down unnecessarily. The enemy has had his way with them unnecessarily. Why? Because they won't forgive. Maybe that's you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. So much more I could say on this subject, but I want to, as I hand it off to your campus leaders and pastors, I want to just taking a moment of silence, an opportunity for you to search your own heart. Because if, if you could identify with this parable, if there's anything in your heart that you're still holding on to, that you haven't said, God, I forgive them. And I know some of you feel like, I don't feel like forgiving them. I can't believe what they've done. It's not about how you feel. And forgiveness has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. God wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to live a life of torture. He doesn't want your life to be unnecessarily burdened. But you've got to forgive. Campus leaders and pastors will, will lead you through prayer and make a decision. But I want to close with just a moment, a moment of silence for you to just search your heart. God, look at me. Look at my heart. Because if there's anything in you that's still holding on to unforgiveness, if there's still hurts and baggage and other things that you have not let go of, I would not leave this church without letting it go. I would not. Freedom belongs to you. Freedom is your inheritance. But you got to forgive. Freely we receive forgiveness. Freely we ought to give it out to others. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.